Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. And today I get to turn the tables on someone. Our guest is the former long-term anchor of WRL Television News, David Crabtree, who has now begun a second career as CEO of PBS North Carolina, better known to most as WUNC-TV. As I said, uh, David, I, I, I'm turning the tables on you here. You're far more accustomed to asking the questions than you are answering them, but uh, uh, so we'll have to see how we adapt to that that, that new role. Uh, it, it's always a whole lot easier asking. Well, that's that's right, and and uh, but I, I try not to uh, talk too much because I, I, I assume that uh, most of our listeners are far more interested in what the guests are going to say than what I'm going to say. So instead of sitting behind an anchor desk, you're now sitting behind an office desk. So why don't you uh, start sort of by giving us uh, uh, sort of a historical look at the WUNC-TV, its background, and, and where it is today? It's an amazing place, Don. It was the vision, as you well know, of President Bill Friday, who wanted an educational channel for the state of North Carolina for it to originate at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and for it to be statewide. And this was pre-cable. And so he wanted to make sure, uh, initially, of course, he knew it, it would be free. But as the landscape changed, he always wanted to make sure that this opportunity for every citizen in the state for education and public safety would be free. So it began about 67, 68 years ago, and has continued now and morphed into PBS North Carolina, but with the continued mission. And that mission, I, I often tell people it's like a twin engine plane. One engine is public safety. The second is education. And like, if you know anything about aeronautics with the twin engine plane, it takes both engines to keep that plane going or the torque would pull it under. And so our commitment, uh, a lot of people don't realize this for uh, emergency management and public safety. We have 13 transmitters and towers all across the state in parts of the state. We make sure the highway patrol can communicate from county to county. But with every message that comes regarding emergency management or from the state's emergency management office, as we saw weekly during COVID, during the height of COVID, we will see whenever there's a hurricane bearing down on the coast, if there's a wildfire in the western part of the state, if there's a rock slide along I-40, I that message may begin in that office before to be broadcast statewide it comes through PBS North Carolina. So that public safety aspect is really important. Well, you know, uh, I've got to mention this early on in the program because it's, uh, there's a uniqueness. You mentioned President Bill Friday, uh, and, of course, he had a long-running program called North Carolina People with Bill Friday. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but I also was asked to turn the tables on him, and I think I'm the only person whoever hosted North Carolina people except Bill Friday. And well, I will tell guest. you, I will tell you, uh, this is historic because you and I are the only two people. So you did it also? I did it one night when uh, it was the, 
gosh, Don, I think it was the either the 30th or the 35th anniversary of his program. And we recorded it live at the Carolina Inn. And uh, when he called me and asked me to do that, I very quickly said yes. And it's one of the very few times I've ever been nervous in my television and broadcasting career. Well, I was very nervous because I had uh, no television background or experience as you did. And uh, uh, I uh, remember, well, uh, uh, of course, the only, uh, the, the, the difference was Bill did not know that I was going to turn the tables on him because <laughs> he had told people he did not want to do it. So we waited 30 seconds before the program began to tell him. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, I'm sure he was gracious as he always was. Well, we had a great program and his part was great. My part was uh, C minus, but that's aside from the point. Well, let's get back to uh, UNC TV today. And uh, of course, you know, as you said, when public television began, it was more, uh, it was called educational television and uh, uh, did a lot of uh, uh, in-school broadcasts for high schools uh, across the state. And it's morphed through the years to a lot more uh, entertainment, a lot more uh, how-to programs and things of this nature that are not viable on commercial television. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it has, and it continues uh, also to be educational in the sense of, it, if I may step back for just a moment again, during COVID, the programming that was produced through PBS North Carolina to uh, help teachers teach their children virtually was just amazing. And it was done, I don't want to say under duress, but it was done with great expectation and was done uh, where failure was not an option. It was the expectations of the state, no matter what political party you belong to, whether it was from the legislature or the governor's office. It was before I got there, but what I saw, even from a distance from that educational component, was absolutely amazing. Now, moving forward, you're right. Uh, there's programming that's not viable uh, in that sense of a commercial metric on commercial television, but we uh, we have some programs both locally produced and national nationally produced that actually have a really strong audience and a loyal audience and people who have an expectation of seeing that, whether it's Masterpiece Theater, uh, which is always very popular, Antiques Roadshow, which was just here back in May for uh, tapings out at the North Carolina Museum of Art. Uh, Finding Your Roots is an incredibly popular program. The how-to program, Sherry Castle's program on cooking uh, is just amazing. It has been picked up nationally, by the way. And uh, some of the older programs, uh, still some of the uh, artist programs, some of the music programs that continue to be very popular. Again, that popularity wouldn't translate in a sustainable way on commercial television. But for public television, with the expectations, it works and it works with an audience that people uh, believe in, they want to make an investment in, and they continue to want to see it. And along the way, we continue to develop new programming as well. Programs like Nova and Austin City Limits broaden the scope of what people can expect to get out of their TV. 
Now, how about talking a little bit about the uh, the role of PBS and how it uh, uh, operates and how it uh, provides programming for PBS stations like ours here at WUNC-TV? Well, you know, PBS, it, PBS National uh, is the mothership in that regard, and it would be, I would equate it uh, in many ways to the major networks in commercial TV that are over-the-air television, whether it's CBS or NBC or ABC, where programming is created, bought by the mothership, then distributed to the affiliates. Much of that is the same way with PBS, but not all. We do not take all of the programming from PBS. We take much of it. We sometimes move it around. We have more ease to do that than the the major commercial stations do at times. But they provide a, a really solid lineup of very good, very strong programming. Uh, some at times can be controversial. We take a look at that before a decision is made to air it, not in any form of censorship, but to look at the standards of the community and uh, with our own standards and practices, not only of PBS National, but for PBS North Carolina. And, um, you know, they give us a lot to work with. We, in turn, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Sherry Castle's program is now national. We just just announced today, as a matter of fact, Don, a major grant that we received to finish a project on uh, the history of Wilmington, including uh, what happened at the turn of the century in Wilmington. And that is is picked up by the American Experience. So it's a program produced by us, produced by PBS North Carolina and our national division and will be broadcast across the country. So in this case, it's an example of us giving back to the mothership, if you will, programming and not just always receiving it. David, right now, uh, as far as I know, public television, uh, PBS North Carolina broadcasts the same programs. Have you ever given consideration to having some separation uh, for special programming, maybe in the Charlotte area, the Winston-Salem area, or the Asheville area that is peculiar to those areas? that might not be of interest to the entire state? Uh, yes, and. Uh, so the quick answer to your question is yes. Doing that really requires uh, requires time and it requires resources to do that. Uh, and to determine what those areas, what might be so unique to those areas that the rest of the state might not necessarily want to see it. And at the same time, trying to balance People in other parts of the state seeing something, let's say, that's happening in Asheville or happening in Charlotte and saying, wow, I didn't realize that versus just dismissing it and saying, well, that's happening in Charlotte. It really doesn't matter to me. So to the short answer to your question is yes. Have we found the right and successful way to do that? Not yet. Of course, uh, one of the big differences uh, in public television now compared to, say, the 1970s is you now have four channels. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And, we, you know, we have the main channel that airs um, over the air that anyone in the state can receive it and receive it free of charge. We have three other channels, um, in, uh, including the kids channel, which is incredibly popular. 
very popular. It's one of the things that you can set a child in front of that channel and not worry about any innuendo, any off-color comments. It's we hear from parents constantly about and grandparents, by the way, about how much they value that. Uh, We also have the Explorer channel and then we have the North Carolina channel, which is sort of morphing into our own. I don't want to say a C-SPAN version, but it carries more and more public affairs, public events happening there. Uh, who knows, Don? We've talked about this for a long time. Maybe one day we'll see all the workings of the legislature aired live the way C-SPAN does for Congress and to air it on PBS North Carolina. Well, that uh, is a, a great goal, and I, I w- would uh, hope that that day would come sooner than later. Uh, I don't have time in this segment to uh, ask another question, so let me just sort of uh, wrap up this segment by saying our guest is David Crabtree, former anchorman and now the CEO of PBS North Carolina. And uh, when we come back with our next segment, uh, uh, David, if you would, I would like to talk a little bit about your past career and how that's prepared you for your role at WUNC-TV. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest today, as we said earlier, is the former long-term anchor of WRL-TV News, David Crabtree, who's now sitting behind a different kind of desk. Instead of sitting behind an anchor desk, he's sitting behind an office desk in that role as CEO of PBS North Carolina, better known to most as WUNC-TV. David, in this segment, though, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your past career because uh, it's interesting that you uh, had such a long career as uh, someone who sat before a camera, and now you are uh, uh, in a new career. How did that career uh, uh, prepare you more for this role? Don, the the biggest thing that uh, my 40 years in commercial broadcasting did for me was taught me to be a better listener and to 
listen to maybe the story that was behind the story, as I would find in interviewing any type of newsmaker. But now listening to 135 people within a given building, many of them on any given day about either a problem, a concern, a complaint, an idea, how to advance something, why are we doing something? Gee, I don't think that was fair. Gee, I think we can do something better here. Has given me uh, th that previous experience really created a runway for me to listen to people and to try to do my best to absorb what's actually being said and then finding a way to deal with it and, and to become uh, more solution-oriented than just being a sponge. Uh, 40 years of, of covering news, uh, and by the way, I, you know, I, I guess my, my anchoring career was 32 of those 40 years, or 35 of those 40 years, uh, but I never stopped reporting. I never stopped asking questions. I always thought it was very valuable to be out in the field to, to find out what's going on, which is something I brought to this position when I uh, just do walkabouts all over our building or go on to production shoots from time to time to find out what's going on with people. Uh, what are they working on? How can we make this better? What can I do to help you reach your goals? And by the way, Don, sometimes the answer may be stay out of my way. Uh, I, I learned that as well. And so I, 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 one thing I think it's important to add to this, if you had asked me, if, if someone had told me two years ago that I would be in this position at PBS North Carolina, I would have said, I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's not who I am. That's not what I'm going to do with my life. I I, I didn't seek it. It found me. And um, having the background that I've had for those four decades to add to this has made it to me. And I can only say this for me, uh, absolutely the best job imaginable. I just absolutely love it. David, in your long career in commercial broadcasting, you saw a number of changes. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I, are, uh, I'm a lot older than you are, but uh, we both go back to the day and age where the three networks and the three local affiliates of those networks were far more uh, uh, in control of the media uh, than they are now. What other changes have you seen in the development of commercial broadcasting in your career? Wow. Uh, there have been so many. My gracious, I didn't work in the in the field when we used film. But I've heard all those stories about the transfer of film to videotape. Uh, I remember the first live shot that I ever saw in Nashville. I was ac actually working for the state of Tennessee at the time. But uh, to see a live van show up to do a satellite shot was pretty amazing. Then to see microwave technology come into play. And oh, by the way, I can remember so clearly, Don, when our good mutual friend, Jim Goodman, People thought he was absolutely nuts because he was investing in high-definition television. 
uh, creating the first high-definition television station on the planet, by the way, began in Raleigh, at WREL, when there was no high-definition programming offered on the networks. People said, he's crazy. Why would he invest all these millions of dollars in doing this? And he kept saying, because it's coming. It's coming. Why should we wait? Let's lead the way on this. So that was a huge transition. And then the technology that has continued to shrink and shrink and shrink. Uh, when I covered the Olympics in 2018 in South Korea, now this is five years ago. I'm watching um, affiliates from Denver and Atlanta with one reporter in the Olympic Village shooting their own live shot using what's called live view, which is technology that actually uses several cell batteries to send a live picture back to either Denver or Atlanta, a crew of one person and the equipment fit into a backpack. And I can remember schlepping gear all over the world <laughs> to try to, uh, uh, edit, shoot, feed it back via satellite. You know, when we were, when I covered Mother Teresa's funeral, we, we had a live shot, a couple of live shots to Raleigh. That live shot had to go from Calcutta to London, London to New York, New York to Raleigh with a three-second delay. Think about, just think about that technology. And now it's done uh, on something the size of a cell phone. So all of these technologies, when I go into, by the way, uh, the Curtis Media Center at the Husman School of Journalism uh, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and look at this wonderful new production facility, and I look at all the equipment that they have, you look at the size of the equipment now that does an incredible job with great clarity. And it's probably, what, a tenth of the size of what we used to have? Yes. I'm sure there have been similar um, shrinkage of that size in radio and, and what you can do to, to carry radio signals. Uh, so that's the big part from the technical side. The other side, as you mentioned, the big three networks owned the audience for years. I mean, for decades and decades. Then the advent of cable comes along. If you decide you want to pay for your television a little bit a month, which has grown to an awful lot a month, but a little bit a month, we can give you 100 choices or 200 choices. And people began to say, okay, maybe I want to watch something else and then take it another step further with, uh, with all of the multiple platforms we have now. People simply want their information when they want it, which means right now. I don't want to wait to five o'clock. Don't want to wait to six o'clock. I don't want to wait till 11 o'clock at night to get my baseball or basketball or football scores. I can go and get it right now. And so that pressure uh, of audience demand, audience appetites, audience expectations, and audience is saying, hey, if you don't give it to me, I'll go someplace that does has shifted the landscape tremendously. 
Through it all, if I may add one more thing, through it all, though, the desire to serve, the desire to report, the desire to be accurate, the desire to be fair, the desire to give context has not diminished. It does push up against the desire for competition, the desire to have more eyeballs, more ears, more clicks. There's that constant tension that's there. It's always been there, but it seems to manifest itself greater today than than any time uh, in my 40 plus years. You know, as you were talking, I, I think uh, I go back and say, you know, the single thing that made so much of that possible was the satellite. Because, oh, that's, yeah. yeah, because that's what enabled cable television channels to begin their existence. And uh, the satellite uh, was so important. I, I wanted to follow up also on the fact that uh, uh, our, our mutual friend Jim Goodman has been a pioneer in many, many areas and uh, deserves a, a tremendous amount of credit for the amount of money that he has spent on things that uh, will benefit us all for years to come. He's mm-hmm. a he's a great uh, a great person, and I have enjoyed my friendship with him uh, very very much. Uh, uh, I know you have. Yeah, on a lighter side, uh, uh, David, uh, along the way, sometimes we say things that we don't mean to say, or things happen. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, maybe a blooper or two that you may have participated in from time <laughs> to time that. Uh, uh, that uh, at the time might not have been so much fun, but now you can look back on them and laugh. <laughs> Does anything stand out? Well, there's um, there there two in particular. Um, I was doing a live shot a shot in Nashville. That was my first job in television back in 1983, and it was the beginning stages of what's known. Uh, it was called fanfare at the time. I, it's called something else now. And my gosh. It, now there are probably a hundred thousand people come to Nashville over a period of of a week uh, to to see their the stars they love, to hear free concerts, to get autographs, all those things. But back in 1983, we're talking now 40 years ago. Um, it was in its infancy, and I was doing a live shot one night on the corner of Sixteenth uh, uh, and Demumbrium, right at Music Row in Nashville. And I happened to make the comment that there's more polyester per square inch on this corner tonight than anywhere on the planet. And um, a woman walking by heard me say that and immediately hit me with her purse (laughs) and and said something along the lines of how dare you insult me and my family that way. Uh, Uh, you know, it was uh, it, it was not my brightest shining moment. Uh, another time, and I'll tell this one quickly. I was covering a um, a savant, a, a, a prodigy, uh, as a pianist before he moved on to uh, Juilliard, and this was in Nashville. And uh, the music instructor came out that day, and he was wearing a vest. People wore three piece suits in those days, and he said, "I'm so proud the buttons are popping off my chest." Well, it was time to interview the. Uh, the prodigy, he wasn't available. So his mother came out. It was a live report at five o'clock. She had a very high neck uh, blouse on, buttoned right at the neck, like a, a a school teacher would have in the 1920s. But she was very buxom. And I said to her, 
how do you keep the buttons from popping off your chest? <laughs> and she looked at me with great horror. This is on live TV. And I said, oh, I realized what I'd said. I said, oh, you must just be swelling with pride. And, and she was even more horrified. And finally, I just said, bravo. Back to you, Ted. Uh, and I, I, I'm getting red faced now retelling that story because it was so embarrassing and was not meant to be what it sounded like and what it ended up being to her. I don't think she ever truly accepted my apology and believed that uh, I, it was I chose the wrong words at the wrong time. We have all had those moments. Our guest is David Crabtree, and we'll be back to talk more about uh, PBS North Carolina when we return right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, someone I've been looking forward to talking to on this program for some time, and that's David Crabtree, who finished a 40-year career in commercial broadcasting as uh, an anchor man who, uh, who was on WRL for years and years and years, and now has begun a second career as CEO of PBS North Carolina, as we said, better known probably to you as WUNC-TV. David, I, before we get back again to talking more about WUNC-TV and PBS North Carolina, let's talk a little bit about the news media in general. The daily newspaper has just almost completely gone away as far as its role in providing news for folks. We talked about the fact that the three networks for years were the what well, uh, provided a major source of national and international news. Now we've got all these cable channels and um, I, I, I worry about where people are getting their news and how they're getting the news. How do you feel about this? Well, I share your concern. At the same time, I think viewers are pretty savvy. We may not always hear from the ones who are savvy. They, not, they don't always have the loudest voices in the room. But they, they see through things, uh, I think, better than sometimes 
I might have felt they did when I used to wring my hands constantly. And believe me, for four decades, uh, I used to feel at times. I know Deborah Morgan and I, WRL, uh, you know, anchored anchored evening newscast together for uh, better than fifteen years. I was there twenty seven years at, at that one station, and uh, Deborah and I used to just almost be in tears some days, Don, about what are we doing? Why why are we not covering this? How do we do this better? We missed the mark on this. Uh, uh, there's another side to this story. We're all, we're only giving one side, and then we we both had. I don't I don't want to speak for Deb, but uh, I, I know for me, I had to step back even more so and say, hold on a second, hold on a second. My lens may not always be the right lens. I like to think that it's multifaceted. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. So I, I had to be real careful of uh, saying what the truth is. Because, you know, truth has a way of shifting. Some truths expire. Something, you know, before I said that to a, a civic club meeting recently and somebody pushed back and said, well, give me an example of truth expiring. I said, OK, before January 20th of 2009, we could say in this country, truthfully, there'd never been an African-American president. Once Barack Obama was sworn in, that truth had expired things move on. Truth swings back and forth sometimes. So we look at, you look at the landscape of news coverage. Uh, you understand that like you were sharing with me off air, having a job in Cleveland County where the owner of the station said, we serve this County. You, you may want us to serve from the mountains to the coast, but you know what, Don, we serve this County. Jim Goodman would remind me over and over, we serve the triangle. This is our, know your audience, pay attention to your audience, be truthful, be as honest with your audience as you can be. So you have that example versus the national landscape. So here we go. Now with cable, which you have to pay to receive. It is not free to watch Fox News or MSNBC or CNN. You have to pay for it. Therefore, they can say anything they want to say and take any editorial stance they want to say. That's the reason you can have what I would call the extremes on cable as well. They don't get the viewers, but they get to be on them. Uh, on a cable, uh, on the system, whether it's Spectrum or whomever it may be. The big problem is it all looks the same to the viewer. I I've had so many people say to me, well, I I'm looking at the same subject being covered. I, I watch it being covered on CNN and I see they focus on this set of facts and I go to Fox, they focus on this set of facts. They I go to MSNBC, they focus on this. We go to PBS, you're focused on this. Who do we believe? What do we believe? Well, trying to educate people to that, even though they're savvy, sometimes can be like pushing a boulder uphill. Um, it's difficult. There's so much misinformation in the world that looks credible and looks real and sounds real. 
that it, it's hard to combat it. Um, however, even in the days when newspapers were king, I mean, look back to the days when when the NNO had the readership that it had, the circulation that it had. Uh, in that case, there was a political message being pushed. Frank Daniels, if he were still living, would be glad to tell you what they stood for. Think back to the days when um, the big networks were just the big dogs. Uh, people were afraid to challenge them at times. I'd like to think that they were honorable in what they were doing. But I wasn't there. I wasn't in the room. I don't know. Um, we can, you know, Don, you and I have been around long enough to know that uh, hubris is um, a weighty thing. And it can find us and attach itself to us. And we have no idea that it's there until it gets so heavy that it, 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 we realize we've tilted one way or the other. Uh, and, and we don't start out uh, wanting to be that way. It, it just happens. And I think at times with some of us in the media over the years, um, we get a little full of ourselves sometimes. Because we're we are outraged that something could be happening that we think so clearly should not be happening, and yet we have to we have to pull back at times and think. Well, wait a minute. Uh, let's just take an election where the that it was mean and hateful, and people wouldn't talk to each other about it. And <clears throat> for the sake of conversation, let's say it, it ended up being fifty-one to forty-nine percent. Well, the one with 51% gets the job. But what about the, all those people in that 49% group? What about their thoughts? Do they just go away? Do we just ignore them and say, well, you lost, too bad? Um, I, I, again, I think you and I have seen over the years what happens when we treat that, that group of people, whoever it may be, um, as if they don't matter. I think the biggest challenge today, Don, I truly believe this, yeah, for all media, for, but particularly for those with active newscasts, which I know many of your radio stations have active newscasts, is to make sure that everyone listening, everyone viewing, everyone reading the paper or reading a story online is made to feel that they matter and that they're relevant and that their ideas matter, even if they're not always in the majority. They matter. And everyone is entitled to have that idea and to voice that idea. When you say everyone, and you're going to say you're inclusive, you better mean it. Okay? That's hard to do. But I think it's a worthy goal. Man, that was a long answer to your question. My apologies. I went in about <laughs> no, no, I, I think you you expressed it extremely well. And you know, one of the one of the great advantages of radio news is it's very hard to show bias in a in the uh, five second uh, in five sentences in a newscast. Uh, the longer the the story, the more the more the the bias or the opinion of the reporter just naturally slips in. Let me ask you another question, and this is. Uh, 
something that has always bothered me, but it's something that uh, survey after survey and all the polling we do shows that people have a great deal of interest in it. But rapes, robberies, and murders dominate the the local newscasts, and uh, uh, the public has a curiosity about these three uh, these three areas, and so they demand more and more coverage. Yeah, they do, and, and I always wanted to respect the fact that people not only have the right to know, they have a hunger to know. But let's do the, let's present these facts as tastefully as we can. Um, I, I I had more. <laughs> I'm laughing because I normally lost these arguments, but I had more than one argument with management it, over my career um, about due process. And just because someone has been charged in a crime, even though that uh, the the mugshot is there and it's been given out to the public, you could now go online and look at it if you want to. But because we have the right to do it, does it always make it right to do it? And to in those cases, in those cases where either charges were dropped or somebody won a court case, it was exceedingly rare that we ever went back and covered that story with the same intensity as we did when that story broke. Yeah, And I found that that would be one of the things that would keep me up at night saying, Ooh, what if this person's been unfairly charged? What if there was a problem with the, with the testing with this DWI? What if they find, uh, uh, and, and and they're rare cases, but I think of the case of Dwayne Dale down in uh, Wayne County, who served 17 years for a rape he didn't commit until the rape uh, that the DNA evidence was found in a detective's desk after that detective died of a heart attack, and it was tested in the lab, and they discovered that the man who actually did the rape was already serving in another prison, and Dwayne Dwayne Dale had nothing to do with it. My gosh, now that story did receive a lot of coverage, but um, I think we have to respect the appetite of what people want, but context, oh, context is important. And, and you said it, I, in in a short radio story, you have to be factual and straightforward uh, and yet still find a way to, <clears throat> excuse me, to be to be fair with those facts and to keep them in context. And that's a great challenge. And Don, you know, when you're in a competitive race and you're a young reporter, a young announcer, a young anchor or older, who now is trying to juggle five balls at one time uh, to be on air, to post something online, to write a blog, to do a podcast, to make some more phone calls, I, it's tough. Now, it's what we get paid for, so I, I'm not making excuses for it. But it makes the job even more difficult. And yet the public wants it. They demand it. And we better do our job of serving the public as honestly as we know how to. And by the way, if we make a mistake, don't bury the mistake. Come back and admit it and admit it quickly and openly. Well, you know, uh, I recently during all the recent news involving uh former President Trump, one of the things that has been pointed out several times is freedom of speech is an interesting thing. Because we have freedom of speech does not 
permit us to go into a motion picture theater and and uh, scream out fire. I mean, you know, you have the freedom to do it, but you also have the responsibility of doing what uh, is uh, covered by that uh, uh, that wonderful freedom of speech that we have. Our guest yeah. is uh, David Crabtree. We have one more segment. And in that final segment, we are going to focus almost entirely on, uh, David, your plans at uh, PBS, your challenges, what you see happening and what you would like to see happen. And we will do that. Uh, we're going to take a break and then we'll come back and uh, we'll, uh, as I said, spend most of the final segment on the plans of PBS North Carolina, where you now serve as the CEO. We'll be right back after these messages. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. And welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest again this week is the, the uh, CEO of PBS North Carolina, David Crabtree, who uh, is now in his second career as an executive instead of sitting behind an anchor desk, as he did for some uh, 35 years in television. Uh, so, uh, And we've had a delightful time talking about not only uh, the state of uh, television, but also the state of news in general. But uh, in this segment, we want to turn uh, back to uh, your uh, present assignment as head of PBS North Carolina. Uh, so you might want to start off with what uh, you view as your biggest challenges. Wow. Uh, the biggest challenge is to remain relevant in a world that is increasingly crowded and looking to get the attention of a potential viewer and giving them product programming safety that they know is worth their time and investment, whether it's for 15 minutes, 15 seconds, or an hour and a half. Uh, and, and that is a challenge. And you do it in an atmosphere where we are public media. So you have to raise a lot of money every year to make sure that uh, the salaries of people can be paid and the equipment is there and the building is, doesn't have a leaky roof. 
um, and that benefits are paid to people and that we produce more programming. That's just a few of the things that are challenging. Some people think that we get all of our funding uh, from the government, and that's not true. We do get about 35, 36, maybe 37 percent of our funding from the state of North Carolina. The rest are from viewers who decide to support us or, or philanthropic uh, tendencies of viewers over long-term periods of time. So uh, that challenge, Dot, is we have a, an incredible responsibility to the viewers, to the people who want to watch our programming and choose to watch it. And it's to find new ways to do things without abandoning what brought you to the table to begin with without abandoning the mission of, of Bill Friday, without abandoning the uh, notion that we are there to educate and to keep people safe, but to also entertain them and to stay current with what we're doing. You can't live in the past forever and remain successful. You know that. You have to adapt. But you don't want to adapt so quickly and run so far ahead of everyone that they lose sight of who you are, or we lose sight, more importantly, of who those folks are. So uh, it's a constant challenge, but I work with a lot of people who are so much smarter than I am. Young people uh, with fertile minds and ideas and passions about serving the public, being public servants, that it makes the job a lot easier. Sometimes I worry, uh, especially in broad, uh, radio broadcasting, that our production values sometimes become more important than the content. And mm. uh, I, I think you and I would both agree that content is king. Uh, and sometimes we uh, uh, can get lost in worrying about production values over content. Content uh, has to be king. You know, I go back to that saying that I've heard all my life. Um, from so many people, either hearing it from someone like Billy Graham or hearing it from a politician who said, you know, you can put lipstick on a pig and, and give that pig a bath, give it perfume, a lot of makeup. Uh, it's still a pig. And you let it walk out the door, it's probably going to go back to the mud. Uh, dressing something up that's thin or vapid is not going to make it any more meaningful. You have to start with good content. Then, then, if it needs a greater production value, if it needs the edges uh, polished, if it needs a little more light on it, literally and metaphorically, if the audio needs to be better, if all those things of production need to happen, then it deserves to have that. But start with the content first. There, there has to be good information there. And sometimes, you know, to be quite honest, no matter how hard you try on good or great content, we're going to miss the mark. How many production meetings have I been in following newscast or following work at PBS North Carolina afterwards and said, wow, I don't want to dwell on this, but here's an opportunity we may have missed going forward. Let's keep this in mind because maybe it's not the exact same set of circumstances, but a different set of circumstances that look and feel a lot like this will present themselves again. When that happens, let's look at it this way. 
let's not miss these couple of questions that we really should have asked uh, these lawmakers. Not to put them on the spot, not to play gotcha, but to unearth, how did we get here? What does this really mean? Some people interpret this this way. I've got a feeling your ideas maybe are a little different. Not to be afraid to uh, explore that. Uh, and, and when it comes to programming involving anything around children, uh, let's make sure we're talking to parents. Now let's make sure it's not just the fact I'm a parent and a grandparent. How about parents who are active right now dealing with a given subject? Let's talk to those parents. Let's give them what we think, what we're working on that we think is going to be pretty good and ask them, not necessarily like a focus group, but just really ask, does this make sense? Or are we on the right track? Are we missing something? In public media, we have more of an opportunity to do that than I ever had in commercial. Uh, so woe be it to me if we don't do that. UNC TV is a part of a system. Yes, uh, there are a lot of PBS stations that only serve one market. Uh, so in a, uh, how many statewide systems are there? Uh, well, you know, we serve uh, like you wanted to say in Cleveland County, or you did say that one time, we actually do serve from the mountains to the coast. Yeah. Uh, with the singular exception, uh, there is also some duplicity uh, or duplication, not duplicity, excuse me, uh, some duplication in the Charlotte area. There is a small station there, PBS Charlotte, that operates out of Central Piedmont Community College. Other than that, we are linked all across the state. We have, again, 13 transmitters within our system. Uh, you know, within the UNC system, there are 17 campuses. Uh, we, uh, we, you know, technically, Don, our license is held by the Board of Governors. Uh, we serve and we are fueled by the power of the UNC system. And so we are all part of this statewide system, but it is unique for public television. There are few others in the country like us, but you can go to neighboring Tennessee, my home state, and you've got a PBS station in Memphis. You've got one in Nashville. You've got one in Chattanooga. You've got one in Knoxville. have one in Cookville, small one owned by the city of Cookville. I think maybe even one in Jackson, Tennessee. So there are all these different smaller PBS stations around the country that don't have the luxury that we have of, of being a statewide system. That it's, you know, I, it's sort of like your coverage with, with Curtis Media. You, you're, you're a network and we are a network of, stations and transmitters all across the state. You'll see that in our ID, but it's all carrying the same signal. You alluded earlier, might we might we chop that signal at times to better serve people in a given area? I made note of that during a break. That's something I need to explore more deeply. But right now, we are that system. It serves to our benefit and it gives us a little more uh, a little more power a little larger voice when we're dealing with PBS National about standards and practices, about what matters, and to remind them we cover an entire state. And so uh, it, it's part of the responsibility we, we take very seriously. You have alluded to this several times, but perhaps the single most 
popular feature of public television, at least from my point of view, is the way that you handle your children's programming. Uh, any changes in the future in the way that this is done or new types of programs for children? Uh, well, a couple of things. Let me tell you about a new one we're really excited about in this world of podcasting. PBS North Carolina is now producing the first podcast. Um, I like to say first ever, but that's redundant uh, for <laughs> PBS National for children. It's being produced out of out of our studios uh, there in Research Triangle Park. Uh, yet it's going uh, nationwide and it is designed to give children uh, opportunities to think more about maybe what they might want to do with their lives uh, or what interests them, that it's okay to pay attention to maybe something that gets your interest that's different than what other people may have said to you. It, it's a fun podcast. Uh, that's what we're doing in that world. For children's programming, we continue to go county to county, uh, working with school systems. Uh, making sure they know that message from uh, PBS Kids is there for them free every day. But Don, I, I want to tell you a, a very important story about children's programming of why it matters so much to me. I have a three-year-old grandson and he was visiting a few months ago and his mom was fixing breakfast in the morning. I had him in the bedroom where I'm getting dressed, put him on the bed, turn on PBS Kids. And he is laser focused on that programming and those cartoons and listening to that happy music and all those things. And I thought, this is great. And I, my chest popped out a little bit, you know, wow. Uh, uh, Papa is involved with something that's really good for my grandson. This is great. That night I, I come home, my daughter's back in the kitchen preparing dinner. I put him on the bed again, turn the television off. Well, earlier she had been watching Turner Classic Movies, and that popped up. And it was the outlaw Josie Wells. Clint Eastwood was in the back of a covered wagon with a Gatlin gun killing Union soldiers. And it was loud. And in a nanosecond, I thought, oh, this is going to scare Bowie, my grandson. And I turned and looked, and he was focused exactly the same way. And I thought, oh, my, if this is all that children get until they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old is violence. How can we expect them to be any other way? PBS will stand in that gap with programming for children to let them know there's an alternative until there's no longer a PBS. That's my commitment to carry that and to advance that for children. I've seen it for real. And it was I tell that story from the bottom of my heart. Well, well stated. And and uh, again, uh, one of the priceless gems of North Carolina is our UNC system. And we very much appreciate you serving in that capacity. Our program has been produced by Jason Cog. If you'd like to hear a repeat of our broadcast here with David Crabtree, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. Until next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong 
Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.